0: You're listening to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. Here is your host, Dan Zelensky. Welcome back to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. I'm Dan Zelensky, founder and national writer at baseballprospectjournal.com. You can obviously find all my work and all my draft content at baseballprospectjournal.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Dan Zelensky3 and the Baseball Prospect Journal on Twitter at the BP Journal. I always love this time of the year. March Madness in college basketball is just getting going, and then college baseball is now a full month into the season, and we're starting to get a glimpse of who the real threats are to win a national title. This week, Southeastern Conference play begins, and there's some really great matchups across the board. The opening week, you have... South Carolina at Georgia. South Carolina is a really good team this year. They're ranked, and I think one of those underrated teams that could surprise some people throughout SEC play. Alabama and Florida should be a good matchup between two ranked teams. Alabama entered this past weekend undefeated before losing two of three against Columbia. I was kind of waiting to see until SEC play began to kind of evaluate Alabama A lot of people were high on them throughout the non-conference play. I didn't necessarily see it completely. I think they're a talented team, but I don't think they're one of the premier teams in the SEC this year. So after dropping two or three against Columbia, we'll see how they respond at Florida. Definitely not an easy place to play And Florida. I think is right in the mix with LSU and Tennessee as the best team in the SEC. You also have LSU at Texas A&M should be a great series. And Ole Miss-Vandy, another ranked matchup. Auburn at Arkansas should also be competitive. But one I'm keeping an eye on is Tennessee at Missouri. Tennessee is a number two ranked team in college baseball. And definitely, I think, flying a little under the radar after last season and the way that all went. They won 57 games were the number one ranked team and then got upset in the Super Regional against Notre Dame. They lost 10 guys to the MLB draft and definitely have some new faces or new guys and new roles this year. But one thing about Tennessee is they have the pitching. Tennessee is loaded with pitching. One through three, their rotation is solid. They have a bullpen that's just as good to guys who maybe could be starting at most programs in the bullpen. And they also got a couple arms that have been out with injuries so far. So Tennessee is a team... I'm definitely watching this year. And then when it comes to Missouri, Missouri has been really good this year. They're 11-3 and three in non-conference play. They beat Texas. They beat TCU. They lost in the first game of the year to Oklahoma State by two. So they've played some quality teams in non-conference play, which I think is only going to help them coming into conference play now. But I think Missouri flies a little under the radar. They've got some quality hitters in their lineup They also have some really good pitching as well. So I'm going to see how they kind of perform and how they handle a team like Tennessee whose pitching staff is loaded. And then their offense, while they're not the offense of last year where they would score a ton of runs, have some big names and big personalities littered throughout that lineup, this year they still have some quality hitters, one through six, and I think could score some runs. So I think it's a good test early on for Missouri. Missouri's going to be hosting the Vols so that'll also give kind of Missouri a little bit of an edge at least a home field advantage so should be a great week of SEC baseball to open the conference season SEC has always been the premier conference in college baseball they always have some of the best teams and some of the best teams competing for a national title and it's no different this year when you look at LSU, Tennessee, and Florida as well as a A bunch of other teams mixed in there. We didn't even mention Vanderbilt there as well or Ole Miss or Arkansas or South Carolina. It's just it's been impressive to see the amount of talent in the SEC, especially since NIL became a big deal, especially since the transfer portal is kind of bigger than it's ever been with guys moving around and moving to better teams or moving to those programs that really are gonna prepare them. For the professional ranks so to kind of kick off sec play and conference play i thought there would be no better way than to have logan quinton on the podcast to talk about the tennessee volunteers talk a little sec and kind of see his thoughts on tennessee so far this season logan quinton is the host of the 920 podcast it's a podcast devoted to tennessee baseball And then he's also a contributor as well, covering Tennessee. He's a guy who's credentialed. He's in the locker room. He's interviewing Coach Tony Vitello. He's interviewing the players. He really has a great grasp on Tennessee, the program, the tradition, the history, and expectations being down there in Knoxville. So definitely excited to have Logan part of the Baseball Prospect Journal team and contributing. He did a great piece On Griffin Merritt, an outfielder for Tennessee who spent his first four years at Cincinnati before transferring to Tennessee for his final year of college. Baseball, great story. Check it out at Baseball Prospect Journal. And again, Logan is the guy when it comes to Tennessee volunteers and kind of giving the lowdown on what's happening in Knoxville. So I'm glad to have him on the podcast. And let's get to it. Here's my interview with Logan Quinton, the host of the 920 podcast and a Baseball Prospect Journal college baseball contributor. Joining me now on the Baseball Prospect Journal podcast is the host of the 920 podcast and the newest Baseball Prospect Journal college baseball writer, Logan Quinton. Hey man, how are you doing?
1: Doing great, Dan. Uh, excited to join you and uh, talk some ball.
0: Definitely looking forward to getting to talk some Tennessee volunteers with you. Obviously, last year the program won 57 games, were dominating college baseball pretty much the entire season, number one team in the country. And then they got upset in the super regional against Notre Dame. This year they enter the year as a number two ranked team and are off to a pretty good start 14 and three entering SEC play here coming up against Missouri overall, just what are your early thoughts on this year's team?
1: So obviously, you know, the, the bottom of the lineup, that's kind of where, uh, you know, the concern lies, uh, particularly with uh, some outfield spots um, and how they firm up that the bottom of the lineup uh, definitely early on, there's been some uh, concerns about some base running miscues Um some defensive alignment and things like that. But uh, what I tell people, you know, it's, those are coachable and teachable uh, areas that can definitely improve. Uh, I would much rather have that sort of problem uh, this early on in the season uh, versus not knowing who your weekend rotation is. <laughs> and, you know, this is the best pitching staff in the country and you just can't create that, and it just doesn't happen. It it really feels like a generational pitching staff. I mean, it's just uh, they're so deep and so talented on the pitching side of things, and then mm-hmm. one through six in the lineup is really, really solid. I think Tennessee's heart of the order uh, when you talk about um, Blake Burke, obviously, uh, is, is kind of still in the spotlight, but then – uh, Zane Ditton and Griffin Merritt, uh, in there, I think they're kind of underrated. Uh, everybody, like I said, their eyes go to Blake Burke, but those other guys surrounding him, I feel like aren't talked about as much. So I feel like it's really a lineup that, at the end of the day, come May, uh, that can really find its identity. And it's going to be a far cry from last year. Like they're not going to be at the top of a lineup to hit 158 home runs uh and and blow people away like we saw last year but it's a lot of that's going to compete and going to get the job done especially when they're backed by the type of pitching staff that they have
0: their pitching staff is just an embarrassment of riches really and i do want to get into that here in a little bit but before we do tennessee had 10 guys drafted last year a lot of new faces or maybe at least new faces in the starting lineup this year how much do you think of just maybe some of the struggles offensively or especially at the bottom of the lineup is simply just new guys and kind of newer roles this year than maybe last year
1: yeah definitely um when you think about what tennessee returned there were only three guys that had 95 or more at bats last year on on the club and that was uh blake burke Jared Dickey and, uh, Christian Moore. And so, you know, you, you look at, you know, a lot of new faces, uh, transfers, uh, Griffin, Merritt, um, Maui Ahuna. And, and you know, Maui was out to, to begin the year because of a uh, question marks surrounding his eligibility and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, they have to find their identity and, you know, it's, it's going to be a work in progress. They're cutting their teeth. Um, Like you said, a lot of guys got drafted last year. But what comes with that is, like, Tennessee's a brand now. Like, that's one of the things that Tony V uh, has been able to establish, uh, whether it's their style of play or the way they go about their business or the offensive production. Like, they're a brand now. And so other guys around the country, whether you're a prep player or playing at another school, like Zane Denton. We talked to him the other night after he hit for the cycle. He's playing in his home state now. He was at Alabama, and, you know, coming back to his home state to play for the flagship really did a lot for him. And he said, you know, looking at Tennessee last year, you know, he said, I wanted to be a part of this group because the way they went about their business. And he said, you know, obviously these guys, it's a fraternity, right? Like these guys know each other, whether you're an Alabama player or South Carolina player or whatever. Um, and so he could tell, um, what was being done in terms of the weight room, uh, how, how Tennessee was making guys better. And, And then, then I mentioned the brand. So when guys see that they want to be a part of it and, you know, that's that's been an it's an attraction now. And so that's why they've been able to get guys like Zane Denton, Griffin Merritt, and then also the big time uh you know, prep players like uh Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman, number one out of Colorado, number two out of Kansas. And those type of players didn't come to Tennessee five, six years ago.
0: Yeah, it's been impressive to see what Tony Vitello has done in his time since taking over the program in 2018, and really. The volunteers haven't had that kind of success since Rod Delmonico years back. So what do you feel like has kind of led to Tony and his staff and just the overall rise of this program over the last three or four years into what now is a premier program in college baseball and, like you said, a brand-name kind of program right now?
1: Well, first of all, uh, Tony is a leader, uh, and he's so genuine – I really think he um there's an attachment there with with he and, and the younger player. You know, he's a younger guy, um, in terms of coaching. Um and he's he's just a damn good coach, uh, first of all, but then also you have to factor in uh it's such a perfect match um with the way he goes about his business and and the type of program he's created. Also what's kind of matched in that, in the timeline, is NIL. So, like, you know, gone are the days of the, you know, a couple of select teams having leverage in the 11.7 restriction. You know, that's out the window now. And so, when you have NIL, and Tony is the perfect um, leader in that world, in that space, um, because he can kind of – he knows how to market uh, market his guys. And, you know, he's kind of, uh, you know, I think there's a misconception that, you know, I think, I feel like other fan bases and, and others outside of Knoxville kind of look at Tony, you know, ones that don't really know him, they kind of look at him and think like he's probably the type of guy that walks around, uh, off the baseball field with an NWO cutoff shirt on, and <laughs> just you know, this outlaw. Right. right. And it's, it's not so much that, man. He's like, he's super genuine and authentic. And he's willing, he's the, you know, the support he gives his players uh can't be talked about enough. And like it's um you know, you know, it's just such vibrant energy coming off of him and, and it bleeds over into the team, into the staff and the players. And uh yeah, so I think like one of the biggest things, like I mentioned, the timeline of NIL becoming a thing, um, when when you factor in NIL plus Tony V plus Knoxville, I mean, then you have this combustion because like the community, he fits so well with this community. Um, we're nuts down here and, and and passionate, and he matches that. And, and then you factor in the player, the type of players he's able to bring in. Like I said, the NIL and the branding and the marketing, it's that's what's led to this meteoric rise.
0: Yeah, I think you were spot on there with how other fan bases view Tony and just maybe the Tennessee program in general. I think they see the emotion, maybe sometimes a little bit of the arrogance on the field or um, confidence maybe is a better term for it. And they kind of get turned off or wonder, you know, how they're winning so much. But I think, When you talk to these guys, they rave about Tony and just his personality, how he's able to relate to the players, how he's able to develop them. And these guys go out and battle for Tony and really want to play for him. I think we've talked about this guy on your podcast when I've been on It's Frank Anderson too. I think he helps kind of balance the dynamic between Tony being a younger guy when he first came in. He didn't have kind of as much head coaching experience, obviously, as a Frank Anderson did. And. Frank Anderson's been able to build that pitching staff into the best pitching staff in college baseball almost year in and year out. It's constantly producing arms for the draft professional baseball, whether it's Garrett Crochet, Blade Tidwell, this year, it's Chase Dolander. Next year, it's Chase Burns and Drew Beam. <laughs> it's like it's, the list goes on and on. All those guys, Blade, I guess, was what a second round pick, but entered the year as the top arm in college baseball and, Dolander, Burns, Beam, all our potential first-round picks this year or next year. So it's it's just been crazy how much pitching talent they've pumped out of that program in such a short time.
1: Yeah, Frank the Tank, man, he is <laughs> – uh, he's something else. He's created, you know, his own, you know, popular fan base down here too. Um, and he's a fiery guy. Yeah. I mean, hes uh, he's the one that you kind of have to – have to put on a leash sometimes in the dugout man he you know people you know tony gets all the credit for some of the the videos we've seen and stuff like that but frank man uh he's got that fire in him and uh he's uh yeah he was already uh he already had the reputation of being you know one of the better pitching coaches in america but when he came with tony when tony got him on board um that's when things really started taking off and you mentioned the long line uh of draft pick guys that that he's produced but also you think about a guy like Chad Dallas that that he helped um just an absolute bulldog um that that was so huge um a couple years ago uh in that you know that 21 season um guys like Jackson Lee um But now now they're the way they're recruiting and the type of talent they have in present day, uh he's dealing with number one, you know, first round draft picks. And he I think he does he does such a good job with um I would say building guys confidence. They're they're to the point where they're recruiting guys that already have top-line stuff. So Frank's not trying to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> He's, um, with Chase Dolander. You know, uh, Dolander transferred over. He was, yeah, of course, he was a freshman All American at Georgia Southern, and, um, but he really took that a uh, next step last year when he joined the Vols. And you know, we're thinking, man, can't we talk to Dolander, see what, uh, see what he and Frank cooked up, and then. Like when, when he was asked what what the difference was, he's like, man, I just, uh, Frank told me just throw my stuff because nobody can hit it. <laughs> like he yeah, just yeah. throw strikes. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's that it's, and there's conviction about how Frank goes about his business and the way he deals with the players. And that's what, to me, that's the biggest key when, uh, when Frank's, uh, when I think about Frank and and his impact with the arms, it comes down to the mental side of things. Uh, That's the biggest boost he offers. And like I said, it's, whether it's Chase Dolander or a Redmond Walsh from like, you think about a guy like Redmond Walsh from last year, who was a stopper. He's, he was not a draft pick. He's, you know, back on the team on the staff this year, but he was one of the best stoppers in the nation hopping out at like 86 87 you know so uh just what frank's able to do with any type of talent is pretty special
0: i know there was a report in the off season that frank was considering or had been offered the job at texas the pitching coach job there how close do you think he was to leaving tennessee
1: you know i don't know i i don't know how close that was uh in my opinion like i don't have anything um on it but like just my opinion, I'd say probably not close. Um, you know, five, six years ago, probably would have been a different story. But with uh, <laughs> with Tony's new contract, uh, you know, he's able to do a lot more for his assistants, and his assistants have you know gotten a boost. And you know, now we're able to live in this world where, uh, more assistants are getting paid, yeah. you know. So um that helps. But yeah, I, I don't know. Uh I in my opinion, I don't think it was particularly close, but but who knows? And I mean, Frank's Frank's the type that uh, you know, he's he's pretty much, you know, I, I don't want to say real close to retirement, but he's at that point where, you know, he can kind of ride this thing out with Tony and he's happy here. And he can really, you know, in his career on a high note, like going into this era of Tennessee baseball that, were, you know, they're they're the brand which we talked about, and they're they're producing. I mean, gosh, you named it, Dan. Like, I was th- I was thinking about it the other day. Like, how many first round picks are on this staff right now? I mean, you think about a guy like Wyatt Evans. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you mentioned yeah. Burns. In next year's draft, uh scouts are all over Wyatt Evans. Um, man, it's he can really kind of develop that chain uh here at Tennessee with you know, first round type of talents that he's rolling out. And I think he can really, you know, continue to put some feathers in his cap in that regard.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Wyatt Evans. I guess obviously with him being out, Drew Beam has kind of stepped up and early on solidified himself as a potential first round pick for next year. He kind of entered the year as maybe a fringe kind of potential first round pick for 2024, but he's really done a nice job and taken a step forward this year and pitched well in the rotation. Wyatt Evans, he's obviously not pitched so far this year. He's a guy that is well-regarded, big profile in terms of his prospect status. Kind of what's, what's the timeline with him? When can Tennessee fans hope and maybe expect to see him on the mound this season?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we've asked about it a c- couple of times. Um, He was on more of a planned program, as Tony called it. Um, You know, does that mean he starts ramping up in the next week or two? Or is it more of a timeline when they're in the thick of SEC battle? You know, the way Tony described it was, you know, they're planning this thing out to where – you know, they would rather win an extra game or two in May versus, you know, first weekend in Arizona. Right. So, right. Um, Camden Sewell was another guy that was on ice. He made his debut last night. Uh, Tony said that both of those guys could go up against bats right now in, in competition. You know, this is dating a couple of weeks ago. Um, and obviously Camden was he did mention Camden was closer to coming back. That was more of kind of a back, back and forth. It was like a day-by-day day thing. Sometimes, you know, one day that they would wake up and say, All right, here's here's the day that we we roll cam out there, and then the next day it's like, ah, let's let's hold off some more and that type of thing. With Wyatt, it's a much more planned approach. You know, they mentioned some soreness like back in January. So my guess would be Wyatt should be available in the next couple of weeks, but we'll see. Um That's something that's now that sec play is ramping up. Like I mentioned, Sewell's back really wide. Evans is the only question mark left. So over the course of the next week, I, I think we'll, uh, we'll get some more answers about Evans. Yeah.
0: We talked about chase Dillander and obviously in his almost two years, he's on year two in tennis at Tennessee And he's really just kind of harnessed his stuff. He always had this stuff, but like you said, Frank Anderson's kind of given him confidence and just helped him refine maybe that a little bit. Six-foot-three, 205-pound guy, big-time fastball that touches high 90s, 100 miles an hour. His breaking pitch, change-up also really good pitches. And he's a guy who's kind of in that mix for the first overall pick in this year's draft. Some consider him maybe the best pitching prospect, at least out of the college ranks, in maybe a decade. Where does Chase Dolander rank in the arms you have seen at Tennessee under Vitello?
1: Uh probably the best. I mean, yeah. you uh you, you think about a guy like Ben Joyce, he he was like a cyborg, you know. Yeah, it was like uh it was like going to the circus and watching the bearded lady or something. You know, <laughs> he, he's yeah. a unicorn. Yeah, he he's was. a unicorn, and so that he was the most fascinating, I would say, but in terms of tools. And the way Doe Lander projects, you know, I'd have to go Doe because when you, I mean, he checks all the boxes. You mentioned the tools, um, his mechanics project, you know, you can't project health, but (laughs) necessarily, but if you, (laughs) if you could, I mean, his mechanics and everything are so smooth and like, you know, there's less concern about wear and tear and things like that. Um, he just man, he checks a lot of boxes and um yeah, I mean it's I, I would have to go Dolander there.
0: Is Chase Burns, he's a guy who's in the mix to go first overall in 2024, another big right-hander, guy who I interviewed in high school and definitely was a guy drawing draft interest then and has only improved his stock at Tennessee. How has he improved and to me, it almost is like a kind of one A, one B type situation with Dolander and Burns at the top of that rotation.
1: Oh yeah. I am uh, I mean, if it's possible to be impressed, like obviously this weekend rotation is impressive and they've been so good, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how how do you factor in uh who's been the most impressive so far? But I like I would have to lean Chase Burns. Um just from the standpoint of, it seems like he has more endurance this, this year. And I don't know if it's an actual, like, you know, physical endurance type of thing, or is it a mental approach? um, Some stuff related to tools, but, you know, a lot of times last year I felt like when he was 40, 50 pitches in, you know, things could get a little squirrely for him. Uh he went he went over 90 pitches uh yesterday and I think he was in the eighties last weekend. It really seems like he has an extra gear. And like I said, I mentioned the mental side of things. One thing that Burns has mentioned a couple of times early on this season is the fact that he's he leans on Dolander and Bean during games. Uh, you know, he's coming, they're they're very vocal. You know, I don't I don't know how a lot of other programs do it, but at Tennessee they're pretty um I don't want to say vocal, but they're pretty open about the fact that kind of it's a program that like pitchers are pitchers and hitters are hitters, and it's kind of like I don't want to say segregated, but like, <laughs> you know, it's they're they're kind of their own fraternities. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um and, and I think that you're kind of seeing that come to form and fruition uh, when Burns mentions that type of relationship, he he said he's coming to the dugout and and those are the two guys he leans on. He's like, what are you seeing? What are you picking up? And he's, he's like a sponge in that regard. And like, he's so raw, man, the tools are so raw and like, just, you know, nasty stuff. Um, And when you think about a guy like Chase Burns, Drew, Beam, they were freshmen last year and able to produce like they did. And think about this: both of those guys um didn't get to play high school baseball their senior year. Yeah. So they they did all this as freshmen on one of the best teams in America, and you know, with all the crazy stuff that happened, you know, prior. So, man, they're just so not only are they physically gifted, but they're able to come in and lead and be receptive to others. And, man, they're just – it's a special, special group. But I'm – Chase Burns is one that I'm very impressed with Um, early on this season.
0: Well, that's like – I mean, obviously, Dolander gets kind of all the headlines maybe, at least from the outside looking in. But Chase Burns, I think, easily – is right there with him. And I think he could end up being the better pitcher long-term. I just, his size, his stuff, like, and with only being a sophomore, like you said, this is really only a second full year after missing a senior year because of COVID. So like, I think sky's the limit with him too. I mean, again, it's just, I don't want to keep harping on it, but it's impressive and crazy how, how much pitching they produce. I don't even think there's a pitching staff, Pretty remotely close, at least one through three, even than Tennessee. You can make a case maybe Florida has a really good one and two. But I mean, again, you can make a case any of these guys could be the Friday night starter on most teams. It's, yeah, it's been impressive to see. And I think that's really going to be maybe their calling card all season. I think they'll score runs, but I think unlike last year where they were blowing teams out, I think this year it's going to be a little bit closer scores maybe through SEC play.
1: Yeah, when you, th- you think about guys like Seth Halverson and Andrew Lindsay are bridge guys out of the bullpen. Right. <laughs> it's just stupid, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, and then when Wide
0: Evans does come back, like yep. Drew Beam's been pitching so well in the rotation, you hate to move him out. Yeah. So does Wide Evans become kind of like a reliever Tuesday or weekday starter? Like, I don't know how they balance that, mm-hmm. but, I mean,
1: I guess it's a good problem to have no idea man that's a great question um it would have been interesting um the door may have been open there a little bit if it if not for Wyatt's health you know to begin the year it, like you mentioned like the sunday deal um but i think we're at the point now where the rotation's set um yeah. and like you said he's probably gonna you know you could you could bump Seacrest out of the way and have evan start or you could piggyback Mm-hmm. you know, that deal midweek. But, yeah, I guess probably the approach is, you know, get Evans started off where he could uh, double dip in a week, you know, do, you know, maybe, uh, you know, once he gets going, you know, 20, 30 pitches midweek, and then he could go again on a Saturday or Sunday or something like that. Um, <laughs> Coming in behind <laughs> Chase Burns or True Bean. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just – it's embarrassment of riches – it's just, um, like I said, I, I'm i trying to soak it in and not take it for granted because I'm not sure <laughs> when we'll see this again. So, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating,
0: man. Yeah. Before we talk just kind of about general SEC play in Tennessee as a whole, I do want to get your thoughts on Maui Ahuna, the shortstop who transferred in from Kansas last year. Like you mentioned, kind of at the top, he had to sit out the first couple of weeks just to make sure he was eligible to play. And obviously, when it's Tennessee and eligibility, that gets some headlines across college baseball just because it's Tennessee. But Ahuna's kind of starting to come out a little bit. What have your early thoughts been of the way he's played and what he can give this offense to?
1: Yeah. So it looks like they found their leadoff guy now. I mean they once they supplanted him in the leadoff spot just a few days ago. Um he's really taken off. And <laughs> Tony's like, I guess it's just one of those things. He's like, there's no really certain thing I can attach to it, but hey, he's there and he's he's going off. So, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So right. um that's the offense needed that. Like I said, I mentioned the heart of the order. That's not been a question. Um, and it's really no problem for you know, it's the options for a HUDA. Was the one spot, the two spot, maybe the six, um, but this this offense needed a a boost other than the heart of the order, and uh, you know Jared Dickey can you can kind of swap him wherever you're needing, uh, but with a uh, excuse me a Huna um, producing like he has over the weekend, uh yeah you're probably he's probably won that leadoff role, and it, it just kind of makes things you know, kind of enables you to firm up, like I said, that one through six in the order. And, and then you're just relying on it man. It looks like a uh, Dylan dryling may have won an outfield role based on his performance this weekend. Um, but Ahuna is that's huge. I mean, it was nice when the eligibility got cleared. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of nerves, um, you know, and and so it took him a little, a little while to get going, but he he's really – gosh, he's probably at – he's probably at 40 at-bats now or something like that. I know he's north of 30. So he's really gotten in a groove, and with his running ability, he's got pop at the top of the order. I mean, it just makes that lineup so much more dangerous. And then defensively, you know, we've already seen early on some – some web gems and some some hits and some runs that he can save defensively so uh this is it's pretty special too because as good as Tennessee's been over the years in recent memory they haven't really had a top flight defender there in the middle of the infield I mean Max Ferguson was awesome at second um right. he was a great athlete um but to have a guy like a hoon short man it's uh it's really fun to watch yeah and like
0: you said i'm sure there were some nerves because last year he just dominated almost hit 400 at kansas and yeah i don't fault him for transferring from kansas even though he did develop well there i mean to go to tennessee and a guy who came to tennessee already as kind of a potential first round pick in 2024 and If he can perform an SEC play, he could maybe move his way into top 10 considerations. So it's going to be fun to watch Ahuna. And like you said, really well-rounded guy. Maybe he's a little aggressive at times in the batter's box from the left-handed side. But overall, guy who's going to stick at shortstop, he's going to hit, and he's going to perform, I think, for Tennessee long-term. So looking at Tennessee in general, obviously, LSU is the number one team in the country. They added a lot of talent in the offseason through the transfer portal, Tennessee's number 2 and I feel like sometimes goes a little under the radar when it comes to them and the expectations because of LSU and everything. Everyone expects from them. How far away or how big of a gap do you think there is between LSU and Tennessee right now?
1: Uh not much. Uh you know, LSU is going to get a lot of run on social media and things like that because their their offense is going to kind of be like Tennessee's offense last year um you're gonna see a ton of runs um they're gonna blow a lot of people out but at the end of the day man uh the you know it's not like they don't have i mean they've got their own um extraterrestrials and like paul Skeens and yeah. um and, and they've got a really good uh pitching staff but uh at the end of the day um you know, this Tennessee pitching staff kind of helps uh, middle that gap, and, you know, they're they're so deep. But uh, I, I don't think there's much of a gap at all, honestly. I mean, offensively, yes, but when you're checking all the boxes and uh, going down the line, I mean, I, like I've said before, even before first pitch of 2023, when we didn't know what this lineup would look like, folks were asking – same type of questions and I said, look give me this pitching staff every day of the week mm-hmm. and without knowing what's behind door number whatever you know like I give me a healthy pitching staff that Tennessee has and they can this this lineup's talented enough that they will figure things out by May and you know if the pitching staff's healthy in May then you know I'm riding with that option.
0: Yeah, I totally agree when it comes to just the pitching staff. Give me the pitching staff over the offense. I think the pitching staff more times out of not is going to probably win out even against an elite offense just because you have Burns, Dolander, and Beam there to kind of – who all are big arms in their own right. So I think that's definitely going to help. I think when you look at the SEC too, I think – it's LSU, Tennessee, and Florida is kind of the top three teams. I think Alabama yes. showed this weekend when they lost two of three to Columbia after being undefeated. Yeah. I mean, I was waiting to see how they would do an SEC play before making a judgment on them. <laughs> but we would get there. <laughs> no, losing two out of three to Columbia. Ugh, come on. Yeah. Like, I
1: was not, I was not high on Alabama. A no. lot of people were. I didn't get the hype, not buying into it. Um, but a couple of sec teams that i have circled that are really interesting going forward uh south carolina and missouri um you know i'm wondering how they battle in conference play um gosh it's it's so tough in this conference and south carolina you can bring up the non-conference schedule early on i get it they they didn't hardly play anybody but they they had a good showing against clemson in the palmetto series um, they needed that one big time. Missouri has played really good competition, on the other hand. They picked up some big wins. Uh, they return a lot of production, and I kind of I really like some of their pitchers. They've, they've got a weekend rotation, and they've got a couple of good bullpen arms. That's going to be an interesting team to watch.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be a fun opening weekend of SEC play with Tennessee and Missouri going at it so i think that will be a good test for both teams to kind of see where they're at early on this season tennessee the generic answer always is championship or bust but yeah. what do you think would define a successful season for tennessee this year
1: um omaha they need another trip to omaha and they're totally capable i know a lot of folks a uh, little worried because like i mentioned the base running um you have dropped a few games you know we're not used to that right like these fans <laughs> look we've we've developed, the the beautiful thing about this whole deal is um there are fans now in this community that are being introduced to college baseball it's awesome uh but also that comes along with that is freaking out about dropping two out of 3 in Arizona uh dropping a midweek game to Boston college because like you mentioned they're used to 57 wins now right yeah <laughs> so um you know i try to you know tell people look this it's a long game uh they got to chip away at this thing and uh but with that said like as i mentioned healthy pitching staff um and a capable lineup no reason why they shouldn't be able to make it to omaha i think that would be a successful year you've got the sec tournament out of the way like that championship out of the way uh my my thing is is uh <laughs> Like, I don't even want now that they've won it. If I'm Tennessee, I don't even want to go deal <laughs> with that thing. That is such a goofy tournament. Um, gosh, it's so goofy, but I love it. I love Hoover. Um, but now that you won that deal, it's like get in, get out of Dodge type of thing when that rolls around. But that's that's way in the distance, uh, for now. But, um, yeah, it's I, I don't want to say it's Omaha or bust really, but that's kind of. You need to get back to Omaha and win in Omaha, in my opinion, to really take this thing to another level. They made it to Omaha a couple of years ago, but went uh 0-2. So and then didn't even make it at all last year, which was mind-boggling. So getting back to Omaha for starters would be my answer.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tennessee was my preseason pick to win it all. I think obviously LSU's got all the talent in the world, but I think Tennessee not having those expectations this year after the way last season went, and them having all the pressure going into the NCAA tournament to kind of get the job done. I think them not maybe having so much expectations, at least from the outside world, will help them too long term. And then we talked about the pitching staff a lot. That's going to really help as well. So great stuff, Logan. Great to have you on the podcast, man. And great to have you contributing too at baseballprospectjournal.com. Logan Quinton, host of the 920 podcast, Baseball Prospect Journal contributor. You can also find him on Twitter at LDQ Sports. Logan, thanks for the time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Dan.
0: It's always great to get Logan's perspective on Tennessee. Like I mentioned at the beginning, he's a guy who's in Knoxville. He's covering this team on a daily basis. He's in the locker room. He's interviewing these guys. He's going to games. He is the guy when it comes to Tennessee baseball. He knows what's going on with that program, how the fan base is reacting to maybe some early season losses or struggles or undisciplined play. So Logan's always great to talk to and get his perspective on Tennessee when it comes to that regard. And like we talked about, Tennessee is loaded with the pitching. I wrote about Chase Dolander before the season started. He's a great guy. He's a great pitcher too, someone who's got huge potential. And like I mentioned, he's maybe the best college pitching prospect we've seen in the draft in about 10 years or so. He's a guy who not only does he have the stuff, He's got everything that goes along with it. He's got the mindset, the confidence. He's got the kind of swagger, the the ability to just handle himself and control himself on the mound, throw strikes, and not issue a bunch of free passes. I look back at Tennessee and kind of the pitchers they've produced since Vitello and Frank Anderson have been there. Garrett Crochet was a guy who had good stuff. You could definitely see him as being a guy who could have some success in pro ball. And whether it was as a reliever or as a starter with his fastball, breaking ball, and someone who could dominate. But when you look at Chase Dolander, he's the complete pitcher. He's the guy who not only has his stuff, but he's got the potential. And he's a guy scouts I talk to envision as a future ace of a rotation. I encourage you to go read that story about Dolander at BaseballProspectJournal.com. We get into his development, why he transferred to Tennessee after spending his freshman year at Georgia Southern. He was a very lightly recruited pitcher coming out of high school, only had two offers, and now has gone from lightly recruited to best pitcher in college baseball and potential first overall pick in July. And besides Dolander, you got Drew Beam, you got Chase Burns, you got Wide Evans, who hasn't even pitched yet. The list goes on and on when it comes to these pitchers. It's unbelievable the job Frank Anderson has done with developing talent at Tennessee. He's a guy who's always produced talent for pro ball, but at Tennessee, he just he's taken it to another level when it comes to these guys. Chase Burns is a guy I'm really high on, and he definitely is in the mix to be first overall next year. And I interviewed him in high school. Go read that article if. You kind of want to see what he was like before he got to Tennessee, and he's someone definitely to keep on the radar moving forward. Tennessee, in general, has just a lot of talent, even though I know Logan and I talked about maybe how their bottom of the order isn't quite solidified or you'd like to see a little bit more out of those guys so far this year. They still have a lot of talent in that lineup. Besides Maui Ahuna, who's a potential first-round pick in this year's draft, They also have first baseman Blake Burke, who's been really doing well. They have Christian Moore, the second baseman, Zane Denton, the third baseman. Christian Moore, Blake Burke are definitely guys to watch for the 2024 draft, potential first, second, early round picks next year as of now. And Zane Detton's a guy with some experience, and he's doing really well too. So Tennessee across the board has a lot of talent. I'm going to be curious to see how they do. I can't wait until they play LSU, which will be just in a short few weeks at the end of March, early April, March 30th through April 1st in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That'll be a great test for Tennessee, and I think definitely could be an early statement series for either one of those programs, LSU or Tennessee. So definitely excited for SEC play to begin SEC is loaded with talent across the board. you got Dylan Cruz at LSU, Chase Dolander at Tennessee, Wyatt Langford, even though he's hurt right now, at Florida. Hurston Waldrop, the right hand pitcher as well from Florida. The list goes on and on when it comes to that talent in the SEC. Just those four guys alone are potential top five, top ten picks in this year's draft. But Jacob Gonzalez as well, the shortstop at Ole Miss. There's so much talent littered throughout the SEC. It's unbelievable, and definitely if you want to see some guys who are going to be early-round picks in the draft, some names to kind of get to know before July, besides reading BaseballProspectJournal.com, watch some SEC baseball. You're definitely going to see a lot of talent across the board there, and you're definitely going to see some future major leaguers playing in these games. So it was great to have Logan on. You can definitely catch all of his work and Coverage of Tennessee throughout the rest of this year at baseballprospectjournal.com. You can also catch all of my draft content, all my podcasts, and college baseball content as well at baseballprospectjournal.com. Find me on Twitter at Dan 3 You can also find the Baseball Prospect Journal on Twitter at the BP Journal. Also, give Logan a follow as well on Twitter at LDQ Sports. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Baseball Prospect Journal podcast. You can find us anywhere you can find podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Amazon, the list goes on and on in that regard. So thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.